But here we go. Work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Uh, this verse may be familiar to most of us. Uh, Acts one eight says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So most of us have heard about the Holy Spirit. And there's actually a lot of confusion today about what that actually looks like. Uh, how many of you have seen maybe something on Christian television to where it, it looks something like this? Uh, you were told that this is an act of the Holy Spirit. People come forward and the preacher or the leader or someone up there on stage uh, basically uh, pushes the person over. And what, what does the person usually do when they hit the ground? Okay, some some lay there. Uh, there was actually uh, a quote-unquote revival several years ago. I think it was actually back in the mid-90s. My parents went to see it, and it was in uh, Pensacola. And a lot of people thought it was a genuine move of God. But people, um, my mom went there, and she said, automatically I felt very uncomfortable. How you doing, James? Uh, and she said that people began to, begin to shake, uh, to stand up and to shake. And kind of like the eyes would roll a little bit. And when they would baptize people, the people would be thrashing so violently. They had to have two big, I mean, big guys hold the people down to actually baptize them. Okay? So a lot of stuff today when we equate it to the Holy Spirit or the way that it's packaged to us. Honestly, a lot of people outside Christianity, let's just talk about this for just a moment before we unpack this verse. Let's imagine that you're not convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. You're not a believer. Maybe you're new to church. Maybe you've been very little. And then that's presented to you that if you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit and you're watching someone out of their mind, at least what it looks like to you. And they're thrashing violently. And what you're thinking is that if I get Jesus, I get this. That's the thought pattern. What do you think some lost people may conclude or may think about that? How would that affect their view of coming to trust Christ as Lord and Savior? Yeah, I mean, it would it, it, it just be, be scary, it would be, be bizarre, it would be strange, because our only experience to where people are what we would call out of their mind or not in control of themselves today would be a person who would be called legally, the clinical definition is insane, right? Now, what we're going to look at is the Holy Spirit, I guess the, the driving thought for, for this, this text is the Holy Spirit enables us to do things that we would never be able to do in our own strength for the glory of God. That's the point, that God gives us the ability. And here's an interesting thing I think that we should think about when we maybe watch things on TV or when people says, say, this is an act of Holy Spirit. I've noticed that a lot of the things that in some of these crusades that people do when they supposedly receive the Holy Spirit, are the very same things that people did in the New Testament that Jesus healed people of. So let, let, let that sink in. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? When they brought people to Jesus, and these people were... I'm not saying it's all, or, or that you know some of the, the leaders... I'm not saying that, that, that Benny Hinn, for example, is, is like demon possessed per se but it is very interesting that that you find in the new testament people are brought to jesus 
that are under demonic influence and they are to the point of hurting themselves to where people have to restrain them. And then what Jesus does is he heals the people like the gathering demoniac, the guy who was in the tombs and cutting himself, so they came to their right mind. But today, it's often packaged that when you get the Holy Spirit, you act out of your mind. So I think that's something that would help us, you know, say what, what happened in the New Testament. Um, yeah. You said, brought that up, the thing that I thought of was in 1 Corinthians about the church assembly speaking in tongues, everybody speaks in tongues, and an unbeliever enters in, and he says, are they not all mad? Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and we may be able to get to that next week and just open the whole can of worms. What does the Bible say about speaking uh, in tongues? Does that exist today? And, you know, how are we supposed to, to understand that? And what you're re- referring to. So you may remember the stipulations that Paul gives within that context. If someone does use tongues in church, what must you have in order for that to be legitimately from the Lord? What's interpretation. And they're... Right, one at a time, and there are, I think if I remember the two or three who can who can testify, so it doesn't turn into uh, basically just just chaos. So even today, for people who may say, you know, the the Holy Spirit still gives us the gift of tongues among English speakers, right? And in Acts two, that was the reason they were given the, the gift of tongues to communicate the gospel to people who were there from all over the world, and they heard in their own language. How cool is that, right? It's like God, what's the program, Rosetta Stone? It was like God was doing a little Rosetta Stone, like translating the message as it was being taught. But today, for people who say, you know, we believe in in the gift of tongues and so forth, say in order for me to, to see that as even halfway legitimate, you have to follow what the Bible has to say about it, right? Like that's a basic, basic thing that will really help people. Because a lot of people want to know about this and it's confusing. Sometimes it's scary, uh, sometimes a little weird. So this is kind of like the, the beginning, uh, obviously, of the book of Acts. And everything through the Acts, you could almost call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And um, here's uh, a picture of our, our team. Isn't that beautiful? They have no idea that I took that of them. All right, that, that is what's wrong with Ben's Yeah, exactly. This may be Dorothy. The what is wrong with Ben's back? He's there laying like on the bottom, you know, the floor, like with his backpack underneath his head. And here's Lindsay, Susan. She's going to be mad. Totally out. There's John's legs. There's Elena. Um, I think. I think this is Bianca. Yeah, right here. And so I just took that and and I told you guys about like how crazy this this leg of the trip was and how we were delayed for all those hours. It was this bad. And we'll we'll make jokes about this on Sunday that when the plane landed from San Jose in Miami, they had to call the cops. People on the plane were so mad, so upset, and they had two people working the desk who maybe could take a course in social skills, right? Like you take people who've been been delayed, been put on buses out in the out in the jet fumes, and then they were brought back, told you here you can get some water with this voucher, and you gotta throw your water away, you're getting the plane. No, you're going back in the terminal. Sorry, you can't get your water back, you already throw it away. And it's only like nine bucks a bottle, you know how it is in the airport. You know, and so you know it's one guy, I was like, You alright, bro? Because he was getting really mad. He's like, I'll see you in the bar, man. I was like, Alright, well, I won't be there, but I'll pray for you. I don't know. It was just like an awkward thing. And 
And when they, people got off the plane, they were dropping, they were dropping every like, F-bomb and, you know, every bomb you could possibly imagine. So I had our group go stand back over. I was like, this is so weird. We went to a third world country, never felt threatened at all. And then we get off and the US of A, and you got these wild Americans like, call the cops! Call them now! So I had them all go back over by the wall, and I was like, I'll go grab y'all's tickets. So I walk up there and get the tickets, and then we didn't get all the tickets, and I walk back, and I was like, this may, because I mean, when you got people going crazy, I was like, this is going to be a riot. This is going to be a riot. And I turned around, and it was just like the protection of the Holy Spirit via the broad shoulders of John Gerani. He was just like, he was following me, and he just kind of like stood behind me like my bodyguard, you know? It was like really powerful, but... But I put this picture in here just to say, the Holy Spirit enables us to do things that we would otherwise not be able to do for the glory of God. And I was blown away by by our team as a whole, but especially the ones um, who had to stay behind, some of them that had to get back to work. And you guys who went on ahead, you needed to do that. There's not any type of, you know, well, you guys got the easy. No, no. They had, they literally had to be back at work. But these eight who stayed behind, there was not complaining. Um, and we had to walk the whole length. And Fred, I know how much you love the Miami airport. I mean, we had to literally walk the whole length of the airport. And, you know, a couple of them were sick and not feeling well. So I'm using all the rest of my, you know, emergency packets. Like, just drink it down, you know. And so, but, but they, they handled that with grace. They handled it with honor. They were a good witness for the Lord when a lot of people literally lost their lost their minds. So... Um, with that thought in mind, what about the Holy Spirit from Acts 1 8? Well, what about this kind of power? If you've got your copy of the Word of God, go with me there to uh, verse 8 in chapter 1, but you will receive power. Uh, the word in the Greek is dunamis. Okay? And, and literally what it means is a potential for functioning in some way, a power, might, strength, force, capability. When you read the New Testament and you see the word power, think of ability. Some preachers have, have said, oh, this is where we get the word dynamite from, dunamis. That may be true, but that wasn't what the New Testament is trying to communicate because dynamite had not been invented yet, right? Some people are like, it means dynamite. I'm like, well, then the first century readers must have not had a clue, okay? Because the only thing that was maybe dynamite at that time would be Roman catapults or something. So the power that God gives us, think of this, when we get saved, is ability. So um, what is the source of the power? It is the Holy Spirit. Now this is, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it is literally drawing like the line in the sand. Go back to the, uh, you guys ever see the Disney movie, uh, The Alamo? And they that line in the sand that they drew saying, if you're willing to stay and die, you step over the line, and if you're willing... So if you're ready to, to go, then you don't have to step over the line. Bible right here, by saying that it is the power of the Holy Spirit, is literally saying that the only way that we can please God is realizing that we can't please God. That's the first step. It's power of the Holy Spirit. So we receive the power for what purpose? There in verse 9, and you will be my what? Witnesses. And uh, we see here, once again, this goes back to the sermon I preached three weeks ago, Revelation chapter 12, verse 13, or verse 11, rather. And by the, they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, testimony, witness, the word martyro, martyr, 
So right here we could say that God is enabling us to be witnesses, which may result in us getting killed. Amen. Hoorah. Right? That's the way to pump up everybody. So we receive his power to be witnesses. Then notice, here's where it may get a little bit uncomfortable. Um, Where does it say we're supposed to be witnesses? Jerusalem? All Judea? Uh Uh-oh. And what? Samaria. Okay, at this point, Jesus is talking to whom? The disciples. All of whom are from which ethnicity? Jews. Anybody remember maybe a little bit of tension between the Jews and the Samaritans? You remember how the Jews would like take that detour? Like if we're going to go to Roanoke, it'd be like we go to Lynchburg first and hook around that way on 460, like totally go out of the way. They wouldn't even go through Samaria most of the time because they hated the Samaritans. So what Jesus is saying is you evangelize people who are near you and are like you. Then you evangelize people in all Judea who are like you, but not near you. And then he says in Samaria, people who are near you, but are not like you. And then just as a filler into the end of the earth. You think Jesus, remember once again, the disciples sometimes could be a little dense. Right, Jesus says stuff like, I'm going to go, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried for three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. And they're like, we don't understand anything you're talking about. You know, like if we had been Jesus, we would have you know, like grabbed him and smacked him around like, what is wrong with your brain? You know, like you're mentally challenged. So, so right here, this is an amazing, I think it's a great verse to memorize that Jesus wants us to evangelize everybody. And once again, the source of being able to do any of this is from where? Holy Spirit. It is not from me. So we're going to look at four things, uh, four actions, I guess we could say, that the Holy Spirit um, partakes in. Number one, the Holy Spirit empowers. What does He empower us to do? Number one, He empowers us to endure through physical and emotional pain. Remember Paul's thorn in the flesh? A lot of Bible commentators don't think that this is necessarily like he had a thorn, like physically that he couldn't that he couldn't get out. But this was some type. And in Second Corinthians twelve seven, Paul says it was a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to beat me, to hurt me. So we think that it could have been, some people say it was Paul's eyesight because he says that he wrote in large letters. Some people say it could be like a a demonic attack. Some people could say it could be a depression. But think about some of the things that we have endured in our life, whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, people who've said things. Actually, uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't wait. After the office hours yesterday, I just, I just went up to pick up the woman of my life, um, down in South Carolina. Uh, she weighs about 70 pounds. She's got brown eyes and she'll eat anything off the floor that you throw down there, right? And then my dog, Daisy, just to make sure. And so, on the way down there, I was ta- I was calling, you know, people and, you know, using Siri to text as I, drive so I don't have to do that and uh, today I was talking just just talking to people and, and just conversations I'm just amazed more and more how much so many people have been through you ever thought about that 
Like every person you meet, you don't know what they've endured. You don't know what type of past relationships. You don't know the amount of baggage that they're carrying around, that they've had to deal with. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, um, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, remember Paul says, Stir up the gift of God that was given to you through the laying on of hands. This is Timothy, a young pastor. He's biracial. He's insecure. And then Paul says, For God has not given us the spirit of what? Of fear, but of love, of power, and of a sound mind. That means that no matter what we've endured in the past, that the, that the power of the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and He gives us the ability. Like I was, I was so stoked seeing our team this past week. Everybody was able to give their testimony. Everybody shared the gospel. I mean, Jerry rocked it out. Him and Regina were sharing the gospel together and gave this illustration, you know, like, here's, here's us, um, you know, here, and like, this is our, our sin. Jesus was in heaven. Classic EE illustration. Jesus came down, took our sin on himself, and because of that, he put it to death and he rose and the kids were like, oh, we can track with that. And just seeing people share the gospel um, out of their comfort zone, it is so, so, uh, it's so awesome. Y'all know who Jerry Springer is? It's all right to admit that. It's like, oh, is that like a sin on Wednesday night? Um, sometimes when I, I flip through the channels, I'm amazed at how the world um, we'll take problems between, y'all, y'all see how this works? Problems between two people. And they will put that up and basically destroy those two people. That, that's what, that's what happens, right? You have one person, the crowd begins to boo and they're totally, like if they had any shame, they would be humiliated, right? It's like, you know, you're on national television and, and through all of that, I just see the world's way of dealing things as this. That if you hurt me, I'm going to try to get as many people to get on my side and we're going to stomp all over you. And then the other person says, I'm going to get as many, I'm going to gossip, I'm going to send emails, I'm going to talk to people, and we're going to get as many people as we can and we're going to try to show that we're right. And back in human history, there are three letters that represents that and it is W-A-R. Where the words stop... Where the arrows and the swords and all that begins. And that is the sad story of human civilization. But then Jesus comes on the scene and he tells us things like, Love those who hate you. Forgive. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. It's like Jesus is just changing everything around. So part of the Holy Spirit empowering us is enabling us to overcome physical difficulties and past emotional um, emotional damage and so forth. Also, to overcome past failures. We kind of uh, referenced this. Go, go to uh, second chapter of Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 2 in verse 14. Notice how this verse starts off. But Peter standing with who? The eleven, alright? All of these guys have the record of having been cowards and left Jesus after they couldn't stay awake lifted up his voice and addressed them. Who's he addressing? Notice how the verse reads, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Okay. Just a few weeks before this, to where Peter preaches the greatest sermon ever given in Christianity up to that point, to where 3,000, around 3,000 people are saved. Do you remember what he did? The night that Jesus, if we could say, 
kind of like theologically, like Jesus needed them to pray for him in his humanity. Say, can you stay up? He fell asleep, right? Then he lost his temper and he tried to kill a guy. Then he ran off. Then he came close. He said, you're one of Jesus' disciples. We know you're redneck. You're from Galilee because of the way that you speak. And then Jesus said, I don't even know the man. And at that point, he heard what? Yeah, yeah. Denied Jesus three times. Now let's put on the brakes right here. I know a lot of Christians today, we, it's so hard for us to throw off this mentality that once I get saved, I have to keep God's favor on my life by doing good. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to pray. I've got to share the gospel. I have to forgive. Anybody recognize the problem in that? I, ha- I have to. I have to. I, I, that's, what's that? Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like slavery, right? For us to realize that we could read and memorize our Bibles in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. We could share the gospel with everyone. But like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I have not love, I am a clanging cymbal. Just a gong. Just annoying. If I do all of this outside of a relationship with God, it doesn't matter. So for all of that to come back, to think about the ways that we may have failed God, think about Peter. I don't know about you, but imagine if, if, if we were in that situation, we've got everybody there, and we're like, okay, who's going to give the sermon? Who, who's going to give the sermon to represent Christianity here on the day of Pentecost? Do you think we would have picked the guy who really made the most mistakes when it counted most? No. But God chose to use Peter. So when we think of past failures, think of this. Our past failures remind us of how great God's grace is and how His grace is bigger than my ability to sin. I think that's a powerful, powerful concept. Number two, the Holy Spirit purifies. Colossians 2, uh, verse 11. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Holy Spirit purifies us from sin. Number three, the Holy Spirit reveals. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, beginning there in verse 6. Paul writes, Yet among the mature we do not we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Right here, the Bible's saying that the wisdom of God won't make sense to lost people. Okay? Notice verse 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Aren't you glad that God has more foreknowledge than we do? Amen? Right? Like, that, that's, that's good. Verse 8. Uh, none of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Wow, what a great, great verse. Think for just a moment the power of the imagination. Remember when we were kids? 
We could take a box, we could take a milk jug, and we could like create worlds out of those things, right? Like a little kid, they were in imaginary, I mean, land all the time. Right here, the Bible is saying that we could imagine and imagine, and then we could get a five-hour energy shot and funnel it into our imagination, and then we could imagine some more. We could all get around and have an imagination seminar, but eye has not seen nor ear heard or even the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. What a great verse. That means that I can imagine the greatest of the great, the funnest of the fun, the most beautiful of the beautiful of worlds, of situations, and God is going to trump that a million times over. What a great verse. And notice how it continues in verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through through what? Through the Spirit, right? So, so the Holy Spirit reveals to us reality. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? You ever been next to somebody and you're like, I really don't know what they're thinking. And it's like one of those awkward situations. The Bible says right here, you can know somebody well, but you can't ever fully know what they're thinking. Only them and the Lord know that. So, in verse 11, also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, if we stopped right there, and there is no way for us to receive the Holy Spirit, it means that we could never know anything about God or have any type of relationship with God. But verse 12 pivots. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by what kind of wisdom? Human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And it gives a distinction in verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly or foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is to be judged by no one. For he who has understood the mind of the Lord or who, for who has instru- understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Simply put, when we get saved, when we walk in obedience, we are able to operate on a different level of logic than the world. The world says you get happiness by accumulation. Jesus says you get joy by giving your life to the point that the only illustration is crucifixion. Like a daily act of putting to death what Jeff wants. A daily act of saying, I will not respond in anger even though this person was angry at me. I will not respond in bitterness even though this person refuses to forgive me. And that is one of the most liberating concepts ever. That we don't have to be bound um, by how people respond to us. So the Holy Spirit reveals to us reality the way things really are. Number two, our responses to persecutors. Mark 13, 11. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but whom? Holy Spirit. Pretty neat, right? Now let's think about this. If Scripture says that God will provide 
the words to speak when we are being tried for capital offenses, don't you think that God would be able to provide for us the words to speak in everyday life and how to speak them? I think a lot of times we think that the Holy Spirit, you know, and the work of God in our lives is reserved for, you know, like that situation to where your your pastor says before people are going to go overseas on a mission trip, we're going to go share Jesus or we're going to die trying, you know, things like that. Or like when I read Christian history and I see this guy like Polycarp, you know, 80 and six years have I served my Lord and never has he done me wrong. How can I now deny him? And he dies like this glorious honoring death to Jesus. But a lot of times we don't think that the Holy Spirit interacts in our lives in our everyday conversations and our everyday actions. Think about it like this. We, we know that God is a mission, right? Amen? Yeah, like God God knows all. All true propositions, everything that is happening, God knows it. So if God knows everything, it doesn't exhaust God to be involved in everything. And in fact, God is involved in everything. If we look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28, for God works all things together for good, right? So if God knows all things and God is involved in all things, then let's never let Satan tell us God doesn't want to be involved in the, quote, little things in life. And it is often those little things, those little acts of obedience here and there that lead, even though we don't necessarily see how it's going to happen, to a place to where it's a big step. And we're like, okay, now I see what the Lord would have me do because I was able, through His power, to obey Him in all those little steps. So it leads up, it leads up into uh, kind of, I guess we could say, a knockout punch if we want to use fighting. I'm still thinking about John Gerani's impromptu mixed martial arts training course there in Costa Rica. Um, actually, Jonathan Sweat put a picture on Facebook during the week, and it's of me uh, putting the body hook around this kid, kind of coming behind like that, and another one's jumping on my back, and the caption of the photo says, beating people into accepting Christ, whatever it takes, dot, dot, dot. And I was like, well, that's, that's great. You know, people are like, all right. Well, the pastor leads this church to go to the uh, third world country, and now they're beating up the children down there, you know. You know, repent or sleep, you know, tap out time. So, uh, good, good stuff. All right, number four, uh, the Holy Spirit unifies. I love this. Ephesians chapter four, beginning verse three. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Unity. That's a great point. In other words, like a lot of what we see 
that doesn't necessarily match up with Scripture, it would be. I think that the biggest thing, and that's a great point, Trish, is that we know that, that Satan wants to confuse people, right? He wants to. He doesn't necessarily have to come out and say, you need to become a card-carrying member of the Church of Satan, you need to have an Anton LaVey poster in your room, and you need to start doing like satanic rituals and drinking, but he doesn't need to do that. He simply needs to confuse people enough to the point to where they're not willing to repent and trust in Jesus, right? Like that. That's that's the end game. That's the point of of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation. It's Jesus Christ. So if you can do things that will confuse people, uh, it's a really actually. I mean, even in, in military tactics, if you can confuse the enemy. Uh, one of our stories was Gideon this past week. Remember, they carried the ram's horn and the torch under the pot, and they broke the pot. And the torches and the and the, the horns going off and the enemy camp basically slaughtered each other. You, you confuse and you confound the enemy. Well, if you're Satan and you're the god of all deception, then that would be a great a great strategy to take. Absolutely. Um, th- this concept of unity. We talked about this on the mission trip, and I think the Lord gave me an insight on this. I think a lot of churches. I could be wrong. Evangelical churches, they want to do outreach. They want to see people saved in their communities. They want to follow the Lord, the Great Commission, to go overseas, maybe to people who don't have the gospel. And this is open. This is not straight from the Word of God. It's just an observation. We can talk about it. But it seems, in my short life, 31 years, that so many churches don't have this. They don't have unity. There's fighting. There's resentment. There's bitterness. So when you go to church, you can almost sense the drama. Maybe you've been a part of one of those churches before. I, I, I don't know. But um, if you can't agree, and I know I'm, this may be making light, if you can't agree on the color of the carpet or what type of cups to use for the coffee maker, then it's probably not going to happen that you get together and you plan something like the Lord allowed us to do through so many volunteers this past fall, a community outreach meal to provide Thanksgiving for people who probably wouldn't be able to afford it otherwise. Or doing something like going overseas to reach people. Or, I mean, all these other things. Don't you think that that has a correlation, maybe possibly, that a lack of unity, if there is a splintering of the mission and of the point of the purpose, wouldn't it be really hard to plan to even obey? So what what have you guys seen, maybe some things or that you see as possibly contributing to a loss of unity in a church that, that, that basically just splinters and shatters their mission. Other than just sin. Control. Okay, control. Good. Like, like this is my church, right? Yeah. Good. A lot of times it's a compromise on preaching the word of God Right. 
that's a great point. That's a, and that's, that's actually um, that's that's a huge. What you're unpacking is that the Holy Spirit applies the Word of God, powers in the Word of God. Holy Spirit takes that. I guess we could say Holy Spirit applies it to each person the way that they need to hear. So that's that's true, right? Like if there is no preaching on the Word of God, and sometimes, and, and this church has it's been so so good. There have been some awkward things that we've had. I mean, not not like problems in the church necessarily, but when you when you preach through the Bible, you come to some tough stuff. And it's the question that we all have to ask ourselves time and time again: Is do we love people? Right? Do we love people enough to tell them the truth? Jesus did, and um, and Jesus Jesus loves people. So that's something I hope that we can continue uh, in the church to understand that it's unity of focus, unity of vision, which involves any type of a family. Like I think back in my family, we have fought, we have brawled, we have argued. At the end of the day, you have to say, I was wrong. It's so hard to say that. You know what I'm talking about when you admit that you're wrong? Why is that so difficult? Right? Why is it so natural? What's that? Yeah, yeah, it's like, it's so natural to be like, well, he and she said this, and to, to, to like want to stick it to them, like, you're wrong, and you're in sin, but then when we know that we're wrong, even though if it's like 15% of the whole argument, it's, it's just like, oh, it's just like, like pulling teeth, like, I was wrong, will you forgive me? It's like, just so brutal. But those things are necessary, right, to continuing to have fellowship within a family. And it's the same thing within a church, Right? I mean, if we're around each other long enough, you're going to see angles of me and say, I do not like that about Jeff. And when I've been told by people, when, when they say, well, you know, when, when you get married, there's that honeymoon period, right? You know, where everything seems to be fine, and then it's like reality hits. So, like, I've never been married, but I've been told uh, that by many married people. And, like, you've got to work through stuff. So that's a natural process of any type of unity, is that you love the Lord, you love each other, and you work through it, Matthew 18, as forgiveness and so forth. Um, key questions, um, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? The answer is we take a class on how to receive the Holy Spirit, right? No? We take, a, we take a class on how to speak in tongues. That's one of the things that always gets me. Like, if it's supernatural, and it's like you can't quantify it, then you know, how do we take a, like a fourfold? It's like, here's how you do Anyway, um, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? Number one, this is, this is basically the whole package in a sense. It's salvation via grace through faith. It is that point that we remember to where we're sitting in a sermon or someone explained the gospel, and it was like the light went on. Remember how weird that was? It's like you may have heard the same stuff, but then it was just like, aha. Like teachers will say it's that aha moment when the students, like they get it. They're like, oh, algebra, right? Yeah, okay, I got that. I don't really know if that point ever happened, you know, with, with my son. I know my brother Justin, he, um, yesterday, like he, he passed his Spanish four. If you guys knew like how big that was for a thing, like he's that means that he's going to graduate college because he said like if I fail anything this summer or in the fall, he says I'm not coming back to school. I've had it. So so he passed that. And and if you think about grace through faith when we when we when we saw it, and the Lord just kind of came and turned on that light bulb, and it, and it's almost it's almost funny. I'm not making light of salvation, but it's almost like this: we've heard the gospel, and then it's like. The light comes on and we're like, oh, so what you're saying is that I am a sinner. 
and I will stand before God one day, and I am guilty, but yet Jesus came to pay my penalty. I need him. I think the only way that we can explain that is is the, the, the merciful grace of God, right? Because we, we wouldn't even want to be with the Lord if He didn't deal with us. And so it's His kindness in Romans chapter 2 um, that leads us to repentance. So here's uh, another question. How do we live by the power of the Holy Spirit? A couple things here, and this we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Number one is that admit that you can't do it on your own. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh... The flesh is representative of our old way of life, our old thought patterns and so forth, is hostile, or I think the King James translates this in enmity, or like a a diehard enemy, to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I told you all that story, I think it was last year on Sunday, about Josh when he was a little kid. And my mom put him in his high chair and said, it's time to eat your food. And he kind of, you know, the kids, I guess they're that age where they're like their head's really big and they're learning how to talk. And he says, I don't want to. And he stood up in his high chair. And she said, Joshua, sit down. He said, I will not sit down. I remember being a kid and realizing in classic parent ease, he is cruising for bruising, right? Like he, he is, I mean, he is cruising down the road to a mom-delivered beatdown on a certain region on his body. So, and, and then she said, Joshua, sit down now. And he said, and he stood up and he kind of put his little chest out and he says, my mind tells me I don't want to do it. My heart tells me I don't want to do it. And he did, he did the little foot stomp, like the arrogant, depraved child. And I'm not going to do it, like three in a row. I remember what my mom did. She said, oh, really? She put down her stuff and she picked him up and then she took him out of the room and we heard weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, right? I mean, it was just like that mom delivered punishment. But I just think about this, like the flesh, our old nature is hostile, doesn't want to submit to God. It's like, no, I don't want to tithe. I don't want to get, I don't want to read my Bible. But through the power of the Lord, he breaks us from that. And so the number one thing to realize that living in the power of the Holy Spirit is something that we can never be good enough to work towards to achieve. So let's not get to the point where we look at one another, look at a preacher, look at someone and say, wow, that person is on a pedestal. Because we don't have time to unpack this tonight, but if you have some time, you just can't go to sleep tonight, just ponder this. Virtually every person that we can look at In Hebrews chapter 11, which is the hall of faith, the hall of fame in the Bible, virtually every one of those characters had major, major baggage. Moses was a murderer. David was a murderer. Broke all the Ten Commandments. You've got people with major flaws. So let's, 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 I guess we could delete the file from our mind and heart that there are people who are super Christians. Not true. We're all sinners that need God's grace to be saved and stay saved. So we admit that we can't do it on our own. And finally, this is, I guess, the main sentence, once again, repeated here at the end. Obediently follow what God has already revealed. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
And Lee, what you referenced a minute ago is the Holy Spirit leads us on how... How do I I serve the Lord? He leads us how to apply the what. Right? We know the what. Like, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to, Acts 1-8, be witnesses for the Lord in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But walking by the power of the Holy Spirit tells us exactly how. It's not a subjective thing, but it's something that we learn over time by saying, God, I can't do this on my own, but I'm going to obediently follow you with what you've already told me to do. And um, that's what I think that the Lord is allowing us to see um, in our church with many people growing in faith and growing in knowledge.